all of our kids when they showed up at Dayton did the same thing. They were so impressed with how polite people were, how kind, and they just said for the same reason I did, like this is a place where I know I can feel a part of a family and be a part of a community. Welcome to the Business Class Podcast, where we dive into conversations with alumni, students, faculty, and staff from the University of Dayton School of Business Administration. You'll hear career advice, conversations about ethical decision-making in business, and listen to stories from life on the UD campus. Here's your host, Dean Trevor Collier. Hello, and welcome to the Business Class Podcast. I'm your host and Dean of the School of Business at University of Dayton, Trevor Collier. Today, I'll be joined by 1987 UD School of Business graduate, Mike Campbell. Mike currently serves as the Chief Sales Officer at Equinix, a digital infrastructure company with almost 10,000 employees headquartered in Silicon Valley. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. Hey, Trevor. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to start our journey with some questions about your experience uh, as the Chief Sales Officer uh, and work our way back in time to your experience at the University of Dayton. Can we start, maybe tell us a little bit more about Equinix? Yeah, thanks so much for asking, Trevor. Uh, Equinix is a probably the best way to think about us is a data center company. And if you think about what is a data center, think about the buildings where people put their computers and their servers so that they can then house them to be able to use to connect to other people, right? And so they put all of their information in our buildings. They bring their computers into our buildings we then connect them to the world. So in the US, for example, probably almost 90% of the internet runs through our buildings. Wow, that's impressive. Your, uh, your LinkedIn account tells me you, you've been with Equinix for about six years. What are some of the things you and your team have, have accomplished during your time there? Well, I've got a fantastic team. I'm super proud and lucky to be able to work with them. But if I think about like, what have we accomplished? Wow, it's been a lot in terms of, uh, first of all, just when I think back to 2015, we had about 145 uh, data centers in 40 big cities throughout the world. We were doing a little bit over 2.5 billion in revenue. Um, whereas now in 2021, we have 235 data centers in 65 major metropolitan areas in the world. And we'll do this year a little bit over 6.6 .6 billion in revenue. Wow. It's kind of exciting, uh, Trevor, that we have, we've been fortunate over the years to have been the only Standard & Poor's company to have 75 consecutive quarters of revenue growth, uh, which this year uh, got us into the Fortune 500 for the very first time. So I'm super excited and proud of that. That's amazing. What, what When you think about your role, how would you... What's your elevator pitch for what does the chief sales officer do at Equinix? I don't, you know, if I asked the team, they would say, I don't know what he does. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they, my, I see my role as being a facilitator for some of the greatest salespeople in the world, being able to do their job easier. Uh, and so I've got a really good management team underneath me that works directly with that team to say, how do we help customers and partners get their business done? And a really good salesperson spends more time understanding and asking questions of the customers so that we can say, do we have anything for them that could help or do we not? And sometimes we don't 
we don't have any products to sell them, but we have partners that do. And sometimes we say, you know what, we can't help you. We're probably not the best one for you. So I see my job as uh, helping facilitate what the sales team is doing back behind the scenes. So working with our great product teams, our marketing teams, all those groups behind the scenes and saying, what do we need to provide for the sales team to be able to sell what they sell and have the right relationships to to work with them and, and just try to understand what's the right thing to do that might help that company be more successful. So where did you, where did you cut your teeth and kind of learn what it is to be, to be an effective salesperson? Well, first job out of UD actually um, was with NCR corporation. So at that time, uh, Dayton headquartered company right around, in fact, the, the university took over the buildings around there now. <laughs> yeah. So much of the space when I go back, it's like, wait a second, that used to be our offices. Now, now we got football fields there and soccer fields. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Uh, so I started at NCR. And, and at that time, Trevor, it was kind of, uh, I was really interviewing with two different companies that were the big ones on campus. One was Procter & Gamble and one was NCR. And it was interesting because both of them are phenomenal companies, as you can imagine. Both had good training programs coming out of university. Um, but I chose NCR because I wanted to go down a technology route. Uh, and, and so for me, it's turned out to be, that's what I've stayed in then ever since then. So now, you know, at that time it was selling PCs and mini computers, and now we are connecting companies to the cloud. And, and so you can just see how technology has evolved, but it's still in that ever-changing, ever-evolving world. And so just starting right out at NCR, it was, how do you learn how to be a good salesperson? We had a six-month training program. Uh, so it was like, you finish university, then you go into six months of more of school. I don't know if that was fun, but uh, it was a lot of good training. And, uh, and then at that time, it's the best way to learn how to be a, a leader is to do it yourself so that other people who now are part of my team look up and say, I know he's carried a bag and he actually has sold. So he knows how hard it is to pick up the phone and call people and have them say no a hundred times a day, like a lot of our sales reps get, you know? And so it's, I think it was more just doing it and experience it and growing from there. Yeah. Well, we have the, the Tallarico center for professional selling here and it, it, it's a, uh, it's focus is on business to business enterprise level selling uh, very similar to, to probably what your team's doing and what you were doing uh, when you were back at NCR. Oh, absolutely, Trevor. In fact, uh, one of my sons uh, that also went to University of Dayton was a part of that program, uh, worked there in the sales center, also then uh, did so much of that training uh, and, and was a participant in that. When we interview people now, we have a bunch of people who came through different programs like that at universities around uh, the rest of the United States, and it's definitely a differentiator. Yeah, Tony, Tony Christophic is the, the center director there. He, he, he was a salesperson for IBM for many years. And I, I just had a meeting with him earlier this week. And I think they have, they have 20, around 20 students graduating this year, and, and all of them already have jobs. Um, so the, the companies are, are clamoring for people who are self-selecting and, and going through this training. Well, yeah, think about it. I mean, like for us, when we are interviewing what we'll call our new-to-career uh, folks, we want them to have had good internships. But the people who get the good internships are people who in college also 
participated in programs like that at the sales center where you can, I mean, they are actually going out and in, in front of other people, they are selling a product uh, and they actually have to go through. So when you think about it, we're comparing great students who have really good grade points and participated in so many things in college against another student who did the same things, but also has now practiced how to sell. And Tony gets the team very, very ready. I mean, my son, Bobby, by the time he ended up and he ended up getting a job at IBM because of that experience at Dayton and wouldn't have gotten it without it for sure. What are, what are some of the other positions you held sort of after NCR that helped prepare you to, to, for this chief sales officer role? Well, uh, after NCR, uh, I went to a company called CompuServe um, and, and moved into sales in that as well. And so kind of the, we, we moved around. My wife, Val, uh, who is also a University of Dayton grad, uh, and I have moved around a bunch. We actually first started off living in Cincinnati. We moved to Columbus. We moved to Atlanta, then to Dallas, then to Boston. And now we're in the San Francisco area. And all of those were for different opportunities, actually the same companies, um, but companies that then ended up getting acquired. What was the most challenging move and, and how did you and Val kind of decide that it, it was worth moving across the country or, you know, just, just selling your house and going somewhere different? Well, I would say Val's the one that pushed me even more. I, I grew up in Columbus and my family all has been based there and lived there and, uh, the whole time. And so I was not thinking I was going to end up moving anywhere. Val's family had moved pretty much every two, three years her whole life. And so she was always saying to me, wow, we've been here a while. Like, don't you think you have time to move? And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe we should, but we got to find the right opportunity. I would say uh, probably the hardest one was we moved from Columbus, Ohio to Atlanta and that was, at that time, it was to go from being a salesperson who was running a small territory to being a part of a, a big office that had a lot of more, uh, bigger city, harder opportunities, bigger companies to go after. And a work colleague of mine, uh, Jay Danucci, brought me over and said, hey, I, I want to take a chance on you in Atlanta. And so Val and I moved. And we were super excited about it. I had a brother that lived there. Uh, and so we were kind of happy to be somewhere else. And about nine months later, right about when Tommy was born. So uh, we st I started interviewing. They asked me if I wanted to try for a manager job. And it was over in Dallas. And I ended up getting the opportunity. But so we were it was right after Tommy was born. Val wanted to make sure he got baptized before we moved. In less than four weeks, we moved from uh, Atlanta to Dallas. And so it was less than a full year that we lived there, uh, but it was the right opportunity and the right time. And I couldn't have done it without Val supporting me and saying, yeah, you know, take a chance. This will be your first chance to be a manager, but all the hassle of just getting the house set, just having a baby and doing it in less than a year, that was probably the toughest one. It's, it's funny to talk about those moves and in, in, in today's environment where so many companies are letting their their employees work remotely that some of our some of our current students some of our young alums they may not even face this because they just they can stay wherever they are and, and work remotely how has equinix changed its policies and expectations in terms of remote work 
Well, the last two years have been obviously unique with the pandemic around, um, you know, where people were able to go in the office and weren't able to. So I think that that part was pretty much thrust upon us without a whole lot of decisions being able to be made. It was like everyone's working from home. Uh, and in fact, Equinix it helped us from a sales perspective because so many companies that were trying to figure out how do you get all your remote employees communicating with each other, they had to build out this infrastructure and Equinix, uh, a lot of our big customers are all the big companies out there that you can think about that are cloud providers. And, and some of them are companies like Zoom that um, needed to just all of a sudden grow. And so as we were doing that, uh, it's ended up being that we were able to facilitate a lot of other people communicating with each other. But when we were now, as we look in the go forward plan, uh, we've had to be a lot more uh, open to, it's not just going to be about how do you come into an office uh, or not. And so now we um, have said to folks, you know, certain positions, it makes sense that you still need to go into the office um, and you'll, that's the best way to get the job done. And other folks, so much more flexibility around working from home. Uh, and then we just have so much better collaboration tools that you don't have to be in the office anymore. Uh, and so we don't force people to come in we never really forced them to come in before, but it was kind of understood that you would come in. And now it's understood that you really only go in on days where there's a whole bunch of people that are going to be around. Uh, and those meetings are still great to do those in person, but you can also supplement that by having some people in person and some people are on Zoom and it works out fine. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's uh, you know, it's something that I think all companies are, are debating and, and, trying to figure out what they're going to do going forward. The University of Dayton's, you know, the, the same way, um, you know, our, our teaching is always going to be for the, at the undergraduate level, the vast majority of that's always going to be in person. We're, we're yeah. a residential campus, you know, the experiential learning that we do, the living in the student neighborhood, you, you just can't do that stuff remotely. Um, but some of our staff could work remotely. And so we're sort of juggling with, with how do you make those decisions and, and how do you do it in a way that's fair? Right. right. What we saw in the pandemic was some people were working remotely because of family situations or health concerns and other people were on campus. And sometimes the people on campus had to take on extra duties because people were remote. Right. And, they, and it was unfair or vice versa. Right. And so just trying to figure out a way that it's it's fair across your across your staff. Yeah, um, I think in those cases, we're going to have to be a little bit more open based on roles. You know, some some roles, like, for example, sales. The majority of my sales team across the world uh, work from home, if that makes sense, meaning like right. they don't go into an office every single day, but there are other positions which do. And so now I believe that students will actually start to contemplate positions that they have based on whether they like to have a, a need to go in or whether they want that to be their option. And and I think, you know, lots of teams and companies are going to have to think about how to do that better and, and offer up a lot more flexibility, which we definitely have that today. And we'll, we'll need to continue to do that to be, as an employer, you're going to need to be able to have that optionality for somebody that either can't do it or doesn't want to do it, but that they're really good. You want them into, as part of your company. Yeah. As we have, we thought about it, a lot of times we're sort of relying on Marianist values to say, how do, how do you navigate allowing this person to do something, but not allowing this person to do that? Is, are there any decisions you've faced in, in your career that you've sort of come back to some of the tools and values you learned at UD to help you make decisions? 
Oh, absolutely. I would say we actually probably use those every day. Um, I remember our business ethics class and and just talking through what companies have to think about every day. And, and when we think about it at a salesperson level, you have to think about, you know, we, we talk about all the Marianist beliefs that we used to always talk about at school in different classes around community, faith, mission, um, inclusivity, and, and all those are things that we face every day, right? We, we, you know, if you talk about the Marianist values around love and empathy and discipleship, I mean, these are all important. And, and when you think about a really, a really good salesperson cares more about doing what's right for their customer than they do trying to just sell them something. And they're mm-hmm. listening and only going to give them something that they need, not something that we want them to have. And, and so when you just think about that, if every day you approach that with them in mind and have empathy for what they need, knowing that um, you're being honest and truthful and you're only going to sell them something that is going to make them a better company, uh, as opposed to something that just says, oh, we got a whole bunch of this we can sell. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be true to that. And I think every day you just have to be ready and willing to face that there are tough things where you're going to have opportunities that you you don't need to do that. And you have to make a decision at that point in time. You only got one chance. Uh, and, and so I think when we really dig down into our roots uh, of things that we've been taught, it's, it's one of those where you know that I'm going to do what's right all the time. And it's treated me pretty well so far. Many of your kids got to experience that as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your your children? And I think three out of four came to UD. Is that right? Yes. We got four great kids. Our oldest, Katie, went to Villanova. Uh, and then Tommy, Bobby, and Annie all decided to go to the University of Dayton. So quite fun in that uh, they all decided to go to the university pretty much for the same reason I did. I mean, once I showed up on Dayton's campus. I'll never forget that day. I was walking through campus and and people are stopping and talking to you. And I always thought that was so weird. It was like, these people don't know me, but they like, they'd be walking by. And of course, you know that they're, everyone knows who the students are that are getting the tour and they're going through and people be like, go UD, go Flyers, come here. We want you to come. You're going to love it. Hey, no matter what, it's going to be great. You know, and I thought, wow, that's a place that I want to be. And and all of our kids, when they showed up at Dayton, did the same thing. They were so impressed with how polite people were, how kind. And they just said, for the same reason I did, like, this is a place where I know I can feel a part of a family and be a part of a community. And we, we were so fortunate that when they went to Dayton, all three of them got very involved. So Tommy was very involved in the Davis Center. Uh, and I know you met him in, in terms of that and involvement there. And he was, as he went through the four years, had some great colleagues and peers and, and ended up uh, in senior year being the senior senior manager there. So uh, he loved it and got some great experience, which helped him get a role at BlackRock. And we talked about uh, Bobby, who ended up uh, being a part of, first of all, at Flyer Enterprises and then uh, at the sales center. So both really a part of that experiential learning that the university talks about and and does so well compared to other universities. 
And then Annie, when she got there, said, I got to do something too, but I don't want to do what both of my brothers did. <laughs> All three of them were part of the business school. And so Annie went and decided to be a tour guide. And she told stories about all the rest of our UD legacy there. And so she got to take advantage of talking about what Tommy did and what Bobby did and what mom and dad did when they were at Dayton. And Val and I, you'll love this, Trevor, as you walk by the gazebo there in the library, I want you to think about that. That was a time when I actually proposed to Val in that gazebo. uh, And that's where we got engaged. Uh, So we just had so many pleasant memories there and used to meet at different spots on campus and, and spend time together. So we actually kind of, I would say, started our married life going back to where we originally met. So we were, met you, were you still in school when you proposed? No, I was right after. And this is a very sore subject. So <laughs> um, at the time, uh, Val was in a, the sorority at Alpha Phi, and they used to have this, you know, candle ceremony where they would, you know, pass it around and whoever got engaged got to blow it out. And she couldn't wait to do that. But I hadn't gotten my job yet. And so I wouldn't get engaged until I felt like I had a good full-time job. Uh, and to even make it worse, she had a full-time job. She was uh, also, she was in what the, at the time the major was called food management, which I think was, I would argue is even more difficult than a lot of other majors because you had to have a chemistry base and a business uh, base. And so she had her job uh, before I got the NCR job because I was interviewing with NCR and Procter and Gamble at the time. She got hers first and wanted to do it, and I said no. And then right afterwards, um, where I ended up getting the job, and so she didn't get to do that. But um, we ended up getting mar- uh, engaged a couple months after that, and then married a year later, which was fun because so many other UD students came to the wedding, and it felt like it, our first reunion was actually at a wedding. So that was kind of fun. So do you remember the first time you met Val? I do, actually. Um, It's actually changed technologically. It wouldn't have happened uh, because (laughs) back then, when we picked up our student identification cards, you had to do it in person because they had to take your picture and then they laminated it right there. And so we waited in line almost three hours and... Her last maiden name is Chase, and obviously mine's Campbell. And so we were waiting in line together. And uh, her and her roommate, Sue Amarell, who was, they were living in Marycrest at the time. Um, we were in the A to C line. And so we went through, and by the end of three hours, had talked about everything and uh, felt like we would be good friends. And so we spent freshman year in, in groups of just having fun as friends and, and then ended up uh, starting to date after that and dated through college. That's awesome. That's fantastic. We have a lot, a lot of UD students have that, that similar story, right? There's, there's two flyers. They get married together. It's, uh, it's pretty special. It's wild when you think back on the very first day that you met. I mean, that was, it's so interesting, right? You think about how many people you come across in your life. What are the chances that the, the person you meet on the first day would be somebody that, let's see, we got married in 1988 and here we are in 2021 and have had a great marriage since then and lucky to have four kids. And so well, congratulations. That in itself is, is impressive. I'm, uh, I'll be 10 years for me married, uh, this, this coming summer and, uh, it's, it's great, but marriage is tough, right? There, there's not as, it's not all, uh, it's not all fun and games. But are you excited? Yeah. Congratulations on officially becoming the Dean full-time now you've earned it. Uh, you have to be excited and the family has to be happy for you too. Yes. Yes. We're, we're very excited. It was, uh, you know, it was interim for, for about, 
11 months. And, and so it felt like, felt like I was interviewing, uh, you know, first, first couple months, I wasn't sure I wanted the job. I was just doing, doing the interim to, to help out and pretty quickly, uh, you know, realized that, it, that there's a lot of fun things. You can have a, a pretty big impact in, in this role and interact with a lot of different people. Uh, you know, particularly alumni such as yourself. I, I just really love hearing their stories and, and talking with them and, and getting them engaged again to, to come talk with our students and, and you know, pay, pay it forward. And so that's been, that's been a lot of fun. And so I'm really excited for the future of, of the school. So you graduated, you say 80, you got married in 88. Yep. What was the gap between when, when you were last on campus and, and then you came back with your kids? Were, were things, you know, did campus look different? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I can't believe how different it looks now. I'm so impressed with what the university has done and what a great job that uh, the university has done just spreading out and, and making the campus so much bigger and taking advantage of all that space the buildings uh, that you've added, uh, just the, the beautification projects that have been done. Uh, even the library looks so different back then, right? Same location, but everything looks uh, so much nicer. And, and uh, I'm just really, really proud every day I go back to the university and, and think about, you know, uh, the humble beginnings of what it was like uh, when we went in the late 80s compared to now. I don't even know what attracted me to it, but now when I look at how nice it is <laughs> compared to that, but um, it, it, I tell you what, what gets me excited is knowing that when I would go back to visit the kids, we'd swing into Milano's. And so that was like, a, that still stayed the same, obviously very different restaurant, different little, uh, a little bit of a different setup that they have now, but still going in there and having a hand grinder remind, brings me all the way back to uh, the, the days for sure. I, I'm, I'm, we're going to hang up on this call and I'm going to go down to Milano's and demand some compensation because every single, I think every, every episode of this podcast, we've talked about Milano's. <laughs> so this is the best advertising they've ever got. And they, and they don't normally people say, I don't know. People say you get what you pay for. So maybe, maybe this advertising is pretty weak because I haven't paid for it, but uh, <laughs> that seems to be a common thread amongst our alumni, young and, and old that, that Milano's is, is a spot that they, that they remember and love going back to. Yeah. Val and I used to go there every single Sunday after the evening mass. Uh, and then we would go and, and go to Milano's and it was just, uh, just great memories for sure. Were there any other spots on campus uh, other than that, that you, you remember fondly other than the gazebo, obviously you've got a, you got a good tie to the gazebo, but where, where else, where did you and Val hang out? You know, I would say, I don't know that we had any other huge spot other than, um, you know, at the time, right in front of Founders Halls used to be the tennis courts. Um, and so a lot of people would be cutting through there and playing in the tennis courts at night. And so I remember just always that being around the center of campus, right out in front of Kennedy Union in that little uh, walkway area, too, was such a great spot to meet people. Um, and just like it was a rallying cry to, hey, go right around in there. And KU was always the center point for us in terms of just saying, let's go there and and meet and then either go for a walk or go, you know, hang out with some friends. And I, I don't know why, but that for some reason would come back. Uh, although I remember freshman year doing that walk up Stewart Hill. I don't I don't think I ever need to do that again. Trevor. I remember <laughs> that thing, but the, the long road up the hill. 
every in between every classes. Everyone else gets to the people and founders always get to go back in between classes. And you're like, I don't think I want to walk up that hill again today. So I think I'm going to hang out here in KU. It's it's funny because the the dorms up on the hill have been renovated more recently than than founders, and so there's a there's a constant debate among the students as to wh- where where's the best dorm to be because founders is sort of in the center. Yeah, right. You're close to everything, but you you don't have the commute uh, up the hill, but the rooms are a little smaller and, and, and not as nice. And, and now we've got the, the food options in the residence halls are pretty amazing. As oh well. yeah. I couldn't believe that going through there. Although I'll tell you, I, when I was interviewing for the Dean's job, part of the, they were trying to treat me like every other candidate. So there's three, three finalists uh, that were interviewing. So two from, two from outside of UD and me, and they, they gave everybody a tour. So somebody like your daughter, Annie, who's yeah. a tour guide came and, and would take them around campus and, and they said, you know, we can probably skip that for you. And, and I said, no, 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 I want to do that. I, I yeah. absolutely want to see see what happened. So I did. They did take me up and, and through one of the dorms. Uh, and, and it's uh, way nice. I'll just say it's way nicer than the dorm I remember living in as, as a oh, freshman yeah. at, at Center College in Kentucky. Uh, these kids are these kids are living living large. Yeah, for sure. Well, just even having the food facilities and cafeteria underneath it is amazing. Like I've everybody at Marycrest now, I mean, that's a, that's a real, that place is good. I'd go eat there for lunch if I was working in nature. So <laughs> that's good. So you talked about the sort of community uh, that, that, you, that everybody feels when they're, when they're here at UD, that it's like a family and, and here you've got a family of, uh, you know, what is it? Seven, uh, seven, no, wait, five. I'm, I can't do math right now. You got five, five UD alums. Well, we've got the, the five of us. And then Tommy just got engaged to, uh, another UD grad, Jana, um, oh, wow. who's part of the IT department. So now there's going to be seven of us, uh, and six will be UD alums, wow. but it's nice because our daughter, Katie loves, she gets to take, uh, the UD picture. And so it, it, it turns out our family picture ends up being a UD picture. And then we have other ones, which are family, which includes Katie, but she doesn't think that's funny. So uh, what, Mike, what would you, your, your sales guy, give me your, your sales pitch. You're, you're talking to a parent whose student is considering UD. What, what would you tell them? Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, the size of school matters, right? And, and so the important thing is that I say to all the, you know, all of my kids' friends, when they were looking at it, I said, well, one of the first things you have to decide is how big do you want that school to be? Uh, Because there's very, very small schools, which have benefits. They have medium-sized schools. And then, of course, there's the large, massive universities, which are great for so many other reasons. And and I think that what you can find when you come to Dayton is you're right in the middle of being able to be small when you want to be small, but feel big when you want to feel big. And I think that that's an advantage uh, and so many things that the university offers around, like we highlighted, that experiential learning is so important now because, you know, as you're trying to think about how to, to get jobs out of college, it's very, very important now to have had a good internship. And the people who are getting the internships are the ones who were involved in these types of experiences in college. Uh, and so I highly encourage folks to think about that, you have to get involved uh, and you just can't wait till your senior year to do it because by the time that you're going into your senior year, all three of our kids 
uh, that went to Dayton had job offers before they got out of their uh, first semester of senior year. Um, and so I said, Tommy and Bobby were both at BlackRock and IBM and Annie got a job at Williams-Sonoma in marketing, all because of the experiences uh, that they had at Dayton. So I encourage people to, to go to a great school that you're going to be part of a community and a family, but that also offers these really important things for you to get involved in. Yeah, I, I really like your, your comments on size. I, I went to a really small liberal arts school uh, in, in Kentucky. When I went there, they had about a thousand students. So it was smaller than my, than my high school. And I, I went there because I had the opportunity to play soccer. It's Division three school. So it's not non-scholarship. Yeah. I wasn't good enough to play at a big school. But that, that's why I chose to go there. And I got there and, and sort of realized I had a great I had a great experience there. I, I love the school, but I probably would have majored in something different. I majored in economics because it was the closest thing they had to business. And so when I when I talk to admitted students or prospective students, the size is something that I talk about because at a small school where I, where I went, I got to be really close to my professors, but I was a little limited in, in the choice of majors. You go to a large school like in Ohio State, you're not going to really get to know many of your professors because your classes are going to be really large. Dayton's in that sweet spot where you, you've got a broad collection of, of majors and programs, but the class sizes are small enough that you're going to, you're going to engage with your faculty. You're going to, you're going to know them in the class. You're probably going to get to know them out of the class as well. And, and I think the combination of those two is really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, I tell you the teachers at Dayton take it serious in terms of uh, understanding that students evolve over the years. I mean, you get ready to go in and uh, you're 18 years old, you don't know what you necessarily want to study yet. You think you want. And so what's great, I love about the School of Business Administration is there's a whole bunch of different options. Um, and I love it that we, we get in and have the students kind of take that broad class that you get experience in all the different majors. You get to learn about them all. And, and then you start taking classes and you find that there's things that you get excited about. And and that you'll learn. Um, and I think it's, it puts a lot of pressure sometimes on students to feel like they have to pick it right away. And I think one of the great things at Dayton is that exposure to everything allows you to evolve over time. And, and so many of those classes overlap with each other that you can, you can switch if you decide your major as it got later um, turned into something you got more excited about. I, I was a marketing major with a communications minor and the reason why I did that was trying to get the broad aspect of all things across the business team, but then also, you know, knowing that communications would be an important um, thing in whatever job that you ended up taking, right? Um, and, and so I think just having multiple alternatives there at the university were great. And But my professors at the time, and I remember uh, Mr. Kelly at the Career Center uh, did a great job of helping me think through uh, you know, doing practice interviews and interviewing for companies. And, you know, I encourage the students to take advantage of that great uh, center as well, too. So just to, to try to think about different careers and go in and we have practice interviews and it, it gets you ready for those things and helps you differentiate yourself. Well, and, and I think what's really neat about some of the, I'll call them affinity groups, but the student organizations. So, you know, you talked about Tommy and the Davis Center. Right. We have we have Davis Center alums who come back and do mock interviews with Davis Center students to to prepare them. Tommy probably did one before he did his BlackRock interview. Right. And similarly, Flyer Enterprises has, has similar sorts of, of days where, where you've got alums that are going to come back. Um, but I also I love that your three kids were in 
in different programs. Uh, and, and I think that sort of is, is emblematic of the, the options that are available, that they didn't all come here and just, you know, do the same thing. Well, my brother, Tommy was Davis center. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be Davis center. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, what's great about the university is that you have really good options and alternatives for people to get involved. I mean, just look at flyer enterprises itself, right? There's so many different things you could do to be a part of that. Well, Mike, I, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with, with our audience or any questions you have for me? Um, I guess, you know, nothing in particular other than to say that, um, you know, when, when Dayton is a, is a fantastic place that we all have incredible memories of, uh, and I appreciate the university cares about the students. Um, and, not all universities could say that. I mean, I would say that all the professors and all the faculty that gets involved at the university wants students there to be better than they think they could be on their own. And, and I've tried to take a lot of those same values and apply it to my management career and said, hey, you know, I've learned a lot from UD. I've got some fantastic friends uh, that I've met at UD and I appreciate what you're gonna do as the full-time dean now. Trevor, to just kind of make it be a, a special place where uh, folks can continue to grow, but still feel a part of a community. And, you know, I tell you, it's fun. Not all the sports uh, that, that the school has are something to be so proud of, but it's been really fun as the basketball team has done well over the years, being able to continue to follow them and rally around them at different alumni events in different cities throughout the globe. So I want to say, you know, for you, if, if, if it's okay to continue to add those type of experiential learning uh, experiences, because it's going to help your students be more prepared for the real world. As we get ready to hire our new to career uh, folks, we want them to have those kinds of experiences and Dayton's a great place. There's no place better to do it. Yeah, I, I think people, alums often say that we're, we're one of the best kept secrets in, in the Midwest. And, and I think they're right, but I, I don't, I don't get, I'm not happy about that. Uh, I, I don't want to be a secret anymore. Right. Uh, you know, we were, we were one of the first schools to have a student managed investment fund. We're now the, the, the school that has the largest student managed investment fund, which is pretty unbelievable. We were, we were one of the first to have a sales center, right? There, there's lots of schools that are mimicking some of the, the, the things that we've done with experiential learning. I want us to continue to push the, push the boundaries, push the frontier of, of the types of experiential learning we're going to offer our students and then I also want to talk about it. I want to tell people about it, make sure prospective students know what we're doing. Employers know the experiences that our students are getting that are preparing them for the jobs in the real world. But special place. And I feel lucky to have been able to, to go there and have our kids go there. And I'm sure maybe Tom and Jan will send their kids. The, 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 the generations will continue, I hope. I hope so. I hope so. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you sitting down and, and taking time to chat with me today. I I know there's a number of flyers listening to this that enjoyed hearing hearing your stories about your your kids and yourself and your wife and uh, and and learning about your your company. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking some time. I hope uh, we get to see you here on campus soon. Yeah, I can't wait, Trevor. Uh, best of luck to you and the university. And and I really appreciated uh, being asked to be a part of it. And wish you the well, best of luck. Thank you, and and thanks to our listeners. And and go Flyers. Go Flyers. Thanks for joining us for the Business Class Podcast. If you'd like to engage with us further, please follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook accounts all use the name SBA. You can also email the Dean's Office with questions or suggestions for future podcasts at sbadean at udayton.edu.
No matter where you are on your career path, we are proud that you're part of our Dayton Flyer family.